You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. On today's show, Amy Gant shares her journey into broadcasting after a stellar career as a BYU volleyball player. She also talks about what it takes to become the perfect middle blocker and the tough early season schedule for the women's volleyball team. But first, David Nixon currently works in commercial real estate, but most BYU football fans know him as a former Cougar and NFL linebacker and one of the analysts on BYU TV. And the move to breaking down games on television was not that easy. It was uh, difficult in the sense that I didn't get really much training. Uh, I wasn't a broadcast major. Uh, in fact, I didn't even do a minor in it. But, um, you know, it's something I always enjoyed doing was talking about football. And so for me, naturally, when BYUTV contacted me almost 10 years ago now, uh, I thought, hey, that could be that could be kind of a fun little, uh, you know, hobby, if you will, uh, and, and jump in and talk about some football and so sure enough, um, 10 years later, still doing it. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's I guess, the easy part of it has been the fact that you're just talking football. And, and the hope that, you know, we bring as analysts is that we dumb down the game a little bit to where uh, people who aren't familiar with the game can learn from us. But at the same time, we, we give enough detail that people that are experienced with the game feel like they're getting some valuable insight. And so um, I think that's the always tricky part with an analyst is making sure you're speaking to the masses, but also providing – good content that that people will value and um you know that that will make them tune in time after time so in trying to help those fans out that are looking for something that maybe they don't see what's the first thing you do when you analyze a game like like just for example like the baylor game when you started just looking at that game in real time what's the first thing you analyze and i do have to ask do you gravitate towards defense since you played defense (laughs) You know, I, I do a little bit gravitate towards defense, um, but offensively, it's, it's funny, right? I, as a defensive player, I'm looking at the defensive line mostly to begin with and see what type of surge or, or – because typically a whole defense is predicated upon the defensive line. If the defensive line is getting washed out play after play, they're just going to run it down your throat and then they're going to do a play action and, and gash you. And so I tend to look at both the offense and defensive line. How good is the protection on the front end for the offensive line, right? And so – um, I, I, I gravitate towards defense, but I also, because I'm always watching defense, you, I have to like have a pretty good grasp of the offense as well. Right. Uh, and so, um, I try to look at both the, the kind of front lines and then from there, work your way back. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of my methodology, but it's, for me, it's, it's a blast. I love watching the film because once again, I mean, football is such a big part of my life for, 27 years or whatever until I was done playing. Um, you know, I, I football was a was a huge part of my life. And, and that's a tough thing about football is once football is over for these guys, it's, you don't really go out and play pickup football on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Right? So and so you're 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 kind of done. Uh and, and I, I feel like this opportunity for me to be an analyst on BOE TV has helped me. Uh, kind of stay in the game a little bit and and uh, tap into that passion that, that I had for so many years. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the BYU Cougars, especially since you were able to watch the Baylor game live, also see the film on it. But I, I want to I, 
I don't know which one to go with first. So you've heard the cliche, I've got good news and bad news. And I want to play into that cliche a little bit and what you want to talk about first. So do you want to talk about the good stuff first or the bad stuff first? We can talk about the bad stuff first. Let's get it out of the way. Okay. All right. I I wanted to focus on the running game. Christopher Brooks, 31 yards rushing. Longest run was six yards. Lopini Katoa, 26 yards rushing. His longest run was seven yards. These guys really couldn't find their groove. As you're watching this game, what did you notice? You know, listen, I think Baylor's defensive front seven, specifically their defensive line, probably is going to be the best defensive line BYU faces all season. Um, that, that was a really stout group uh, that had us scouted pretty well. I, I was a little surprised not to see the big of a push from BYU's offensive line as I thought I would see, given the experience and given the big boys BYU has up front. Um, and so they, yeah, there's no question. They struggled trying to run the ball uh, and, and getting chunk plays. Frankly, the best the, the best running came from Jaron Hall on a couple quarterback keepers uh, throughout the night, and and that's something that Jaron brings to the table as well. And frankly, I know that most fans don't want to see Jaron run the ball given his health history, um, but you know maybe that's something you got to work on a little bit more and tell him to be smart because that does open up the rest of the running game as well. When you when you have the RPO and you have to respect the quarterback keeping it, that takes kind of one less defender out of the box, and so. Um, you know, I, I think that was maybe, yeah, that was one, maybe one of the downsides was the running game never could quite get going. Uh, but it was effective when, when it needed to be and picked up a few first downs. And like I said, Jaron was able to beat Baylor's defense with his legs as well. This is what Connor Pay had to say about um, facing Baylor's defense and especially with the offensive line, how they did against them. Yeah, I think obviously we didn't uh, do as good a job as we could have. Um, in the run game, and that's that's our responsibility as an offensive line. And so I think um, we just need to do a better job um, of starting and sustaining our combo blocks and getting to the second level. Because, like you said, Oregon has a has a great defense. Can you really blame or attribute it all, or attribute all the blame? I guess you could say to the offensive line. You know, I think I think there's some room to go all around. I think even you go to the coaching staff and dialing up certain plays that will work against that that Baylor fronts, you know, four front seven. Um, and so I, I think you know keeping the, the defense on the heels is is a huge part as well. Not being predictable uh, is, is is another huge important part that that you know coaches play a role in. And so. Um, I think it's a team effort for sure. I don't think you can pin it all on one position group uh, because ultimately, if the running backs, you've got to lower your shoulder and and you know make, do have some cutbacks and and find find holes, even though they might might not be there. And so I think it falls on everybody. But yeah, it starts with the offensive line up front, no question. And, and you could hear that from from Pay right there, where uh, they, they know they've got to get better at, at that. But oh, once again, I don't think this team maybe until. Arkansas, I don't know if they face another stout defensive line like they faced last week. Why didn't BYU's passing game lighten the load for the rushing attack? Is it because it's so high risk and you're like, well, if we give up big yards here, that's just a risk you're going to take and we're, we're going to take that risk? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think the passing game got on track. It was, it was kind of a back and forth. I think that first quarter, really into the second quarter, both teams are trying to fill each other out. And, and I think uh, they were trying a lot of different plays. BYU's first drive, offensively, they came out firing. Baylor made some good adjustments. And then BYU was able to uh, kind of rebound later in the second quarter whenever they had the touchdown scoring drive on their last drive. But between the first drive and that last drive of the first half, it was pretty back and forth, a lot of three and outs, not a lot of success. And, I mean, sometimes this is how it goes. I mean, not every game is going to be a barn burner where it's going to be 55 to 52. 
uh, you're going to have some defensive struggle or offensive struggles against these these stout defenses. And I think that was one of these type of games where, you know, both offenses, Baylor's and BYU's, were trying different concepts, um, trying to find some big play chunks. I, I will say I think missing Gunner and Puka, who are true deep threats, I think that that hurt BYU a little bit there in the first half. But ultimately, Chase Roberts obviously caught fire and and he gained that that um, kind of started started to get some bigger chunk plays against that Baylor defense. Um, but uh, it was a struggle there in the first half, no doubt. Were you getting nervous at all that the defense would wear down? Because you just talked about you know there were quite a few three and outs and stalled drives in that in that first half. Were you getting nervous at all that maybe the defense would start to wear down as the game went along? Honestly, yes. <laughs> I mean, this once again, I, I almost had PTSD from last year's game where where Baylor eventually just just kept cramming down BYU's throat and rushed for over 300 yards. And so, I I thought at some point this that defense was going to bend uh, and, and frankly break. Uh, but credit to them, credit to BYU's BYU's defensive line and linebackers, and frankly even the safeties in in, in secondary. We we broke it down on AFR this this last week uh, a couple of days ago where. Uh, we BYU had uh, you know corners coming up and hitting. He had, of course, linebackers. Max Tooley was probably the best game of his career. Uh, defensive line uh, played great. I, I would still love to see them be a little bit more stout at the point of attack. There are a couple of times where they're getting driven back a little bit, um, but I thought as a total defense, man, it was a, it was a fantastic outing. And, and what they were able to do to to keep Baylor just 152 yards. I mean. For Baylor, that's that's a pretty low output. They love to run the ball, especially Jeff Grimes. And uh, he's able to kind of take that away from them. They average under three yards per carry, which is a win. And that's called a professional transition, folks. David knows exactly when we want to talk about the good stuff, and that's the defense. Uh, the defense did what they needed to do to win this game. Here's what Ben Bywater had to say. I was proud of our guys, the way we handled kind of battling up front, playing big boy football, smash mouth, you know, downhill run run game. So for us, I mean, we, we had a lot to prove, especially after what happened last year. So I was proud of the way the guys, you know, handled business. And, you know, it's just a testament to what we did off in the offseason, you know, getting big and just having that pride. So I was proud of us. Both Ben and you talked about how BYU gave up lots of yards last season uh, when they played Baylor, also gave up 38 points last year. This past game, only 20 points. You you saw these guys last season and now this season. Are they really just bigger, stronger, faster, and playing, as he said, big boy football? I think they are, but I think more than anything, I mean, they are bigger, faster, stronger, no question. But I think more than anything, they're they're smarter. And and I think this you know off season and experience they now have underneath their belts is now you know paying dividends here uh, because you watch them. You know, we always talk about this in football. When you're experienced and you know what your assignment is, you play so much faster. If there's any type of indecision in your brain at the snap of the ball, whether where you're supposed to go or what run fit you're supposed to have or what pass drop and, and what zone you're supposed to drop into, you're going to be one to two seconds slower, which as we know in the game of football, it's a game of inches. And, and if you're not in your spot where you need to be, especially against a good quarterback and a good team like Baylor, they're going to pick you apart. But this BYU defense, they were in the right fits. I mean, there was – there was. we went back and watched it. There's maybe one or two plays where guys didn't quite fit. When I say fit, when they come up to blocks, maybe they're on the inside of the block versus they're supposed to be on the outside of the block. That's what run fits are called. Um, they were they were almost spot on the entire night, and, and you saw it. I mean, guys were flying around, um, getting off blocks and being in the right position they were supposed to be in and coming up with big plays. And so I, I agree. I, I think – uh, there's no doubt everyone's healthy, which is a big key, right? I mean, B- BYU faced Baylor, I think it was game seven last year, game eight. 
um, this year, obviously game two and everyone was healthy. Um, but I think more than anything, it's, it's the, you know, the prep and the intelligence of all these guys and one more year of experience of understanding the defense and understanding where they need to be. You know, Ben Bywater also kind of talked about that, how it wasn't just being able to beat their guys on defense. A lot of it was the scheme. Our, our coaches did a great job putting us in good positions to, you know, make plays. What did the Cougars do differently, David, with their scheme to make big plays? It seemed like they blitzed more, and I know BYU fans have been crying about that, but it, it seemed like they blitzed more. What, what did you notice as you were watching the game? Yeah, I think last year, because of the results of injuries, uh, and they were dealing with a lot of backups at that point, uh, they maybe didn't have the experience uh, and, and the trust of the coaches to, to come out with some exotic blitzes. Because once again, if you blitz and you don't get home, you're leaving your whole deep back end exposed, right? And so it's 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 kind of a it's a, it's a tough call. Um, but this year, once again, with everyone with the experience come back and, and with the trust gained of, of the coaching staff, BYU was blitzing the linebacker on almost every play. Sometimes it's through the A gap, sometimes it's through the C gap. Um, some, and there were lots of stunts going on up front, which means the defensive line are doing some twists to create some confusion with Baylor's offensive line, which really messes with run blocks if you're an offense. Um, so BYU was just, they were getting creative and, and they were flying around. And I agree. I think the game plan going this game versus sitting on their heels like they did last year and just kind of playing a base defense, BYU opted to do, to be more aggressive. And, and like I said, almost every play, there's a backer blitzing uh, somewhere on that, on that line. And I think that creates some havoc and, and Baylor never really had an answer for it throughout the night. BYU did finish with four sacks in the game. As a former linebacker, take us through what it's like sacking the quarterback on a crucial drive. <laughs> I mean... Listen, there's nothing better. I, honestly, I, I you take a sack over over anything. I mean, I guess some of those hits of, that uh, Tully was putting on Baylor, where you you come in and you hit your helmet right square in their chest and you drop into the ground, that's pretty fun. But the sacks, especially like you said in crucial crucial situations where it's a it's a game changer. I mean, you you also knock them out of field goal, field goal position or you you back them up to where now you're flipping field position. I mean, there's those sacks are, are big time game changers, and uh, it's it, there's nothing better coming off the edge and seeing that quarterback, and and you're just hoping when you when his back is to you're just hoping he's going to hold on to that ball one extra second to allow you to get home, and um, you know as you said BYU had four sacks, which was a uh, you know four more than BYU had last year, no sacks for BYU in last year's game, and so that goes to show you the pressure. Uh, that they were able to apply and, and how it paid off. On Baylor's second overtime drive, what do you think the defining moment in defense was that eventually led to that incomplete pass on fourth and goal? Honestly, it, it was the false starts. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if, if they don't do those two false starts on third and fourth down, I, I think uh, this is a whole different result and outcome. Uh, instead, uh, you know, you look at the Rock and the, and the fans um, and what they're able to do to create that much noise and make them false start, that pushed them into – kind of an uncomfortable territory. And as we saw from Baylor's quarterback, Blake Shapin all night, he struggled uh, with passing the ball. He, he, he wasn't very accurate throughout the evening, and and especially with pressure on his face. And so BOU opted on that last play to only rush three and do their drop eight, which which I love at that part of the field. When you're, when you're down the red zone, especially on the 12-yard line, you have that 12th defender, which is the, the out-of-bounds on the back end, right, of the end zone. Um, and so you, you've got to take advantage of that extra defender, quote unquote. And so um, BYU opts to rush three and, and a great job of, of getting pressure. Uh, I think it was Mangelson who, who made an inside move and, and got his hand right in his face and made him airball the, uh, his throw. And, you know, we went back and looked at it on AFR as well. Uh, 
he threw it to the middle receiver, but on, there was there was nobody open. Even the outside receivers were blanketed. BYU's secondary did a fantastic job, including the linebackers, of, of throw you know taking up uh, and occupying those throwing lanes. And he you know Baylor's quarterback had nowhere to go, and and sure enough, resulted in a in a huge play and and uh, game winner. Gregor Bell on the radio broadcast kept talking about the hockey line changes for the defense to get fresh players on the field. What do you think that did for the defense in keeping them fresh or even even when we're talking about long-term health? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't love the hockey line changes. I mean, I, I when I played, I never wanted to come out, and I didn't come out very often. Um, we didn't do a lot of that. With that being said, um, you know, it's, it's working for this group now. And, and, you know, I, I think a lot of it's situational as well. Uh, you know, you, you want to have your studs on the field and, in, in big situations. I think they've done a good job of rotating those guys in and out whenever those situations arise. And so, um, you know, I, I it's, it's working for them. And, and I think to your point, it, it does keep guys fresh throughout the game. Uh, so when their number is called, they're, they're ready to go and they can get up field and provide some pressure. Um, but uh, it is a tough one because you are, you know, swapping out, swapping out, you know, some some of these younger guys for older guys, um, and vice versa, and, and maybe you're left a little bit more vulnerable at certain times. But um, it's working, so I'm not going to complain. Max Tooley, 13 total tackles. Bywater had 11. Keenan Peely, six tackles. You're great for the linebackers in this game. Yeah, I, I think they honestly get an A. I don't know how much better they could have done. Um, I think they were fantastic in, in both. Uh, the passing game where they would get into, like I said, throwing lanes. Um, I think in the run game, they're, they're phenomenal. I, I love Peely. He was absolutely flying around. Um, and a lot of it's stuff that you don't see on the stat line where, you know, linebackers come up and they set the edge and they make the running back cut up inside. And that's where the D tackle is going to clean up or, or they make him bounce it because they fit perfectly. And all of a sudden the safety sitting right there is able to take the running back's legs out. So he gets credit to tackle, but really the backer is the one that set it up. And so, um, the backers played really, really well. And, and I, you know, you, you got to love the luxury of having uh, Thule, Wilgar, Peely, um, Bywater, even your backups, you know, Tanavasa. I mean, you've got a lot of faces that have played a lot of games for BYU. Uh, and, and once again, I mean, if there's anything positive that came out of last year's, you know, season where a lot of guys were injured and, and once again, you go to the bowl game and you're, you look out there on the field and you literally don't recognize anybody's name, uh, the benefit of that is the fact that all those kids return, most of them return, and that's experience that comes back. Uh, and so if there are injuries or if there are guys that need uh, a blow, right, you can you can substitute them out and uh, bring in some kids that have some game reps under their belts. Ben Bybwater also said he can't wait to play Oregon. I'm excited. The big games are what you play for. I mean, no one wants to be playing little small teams that no one shows up to. So primetime football Saturday, you know, 1.30 p.m. It's going to be it's going to be big time. I'm ready to rock and roll. Autzen Stadium should be rocking and rolling coming up this Saturday. Um, and it's a fun place to play. What, what was your favorite place to go play outside of Lavelle Edwards Stadium? What was the place that you didn't like to play in? Oh, man. <clears throat> I frankly, I love playing up at Utah. I loved playing in that environment. Um, I mean, that was such a uh, such a heated and passionate game that I, I loved playing uh, up at the U. Um, probably the one place I didn't I didn't love to play in was frankly probably Wyoming <laughs> up in Laramie. Uh, and hopefully, there's not a lot of, of Wyoming fans listening to this <laughs> podcast. But um, I just wasn't it wasn't the most desirable location. Yeah, just the whole trip. You had to stay like 45 minutes outside of Laramie because there weren't any big big enough hotels to host the team and. 
and then the fans weren't the kindest and uh, the weather usually was not the best. And so I'd say Laramie's the worst, uh, but I, I, I love playing Utah. I mean, that for me, that's when people talk about doing away with the robbery, which unfortunately this year is obviously not going to be played. It's a big bummer. I mean, I, the, I, I can promise you the players absolutely love it. And um, I, I think it's that's how college football should be. It should be all about, all about the robberies, and, and it's fortunate this year they don't get to play. But uh, who knows? Maybe in some bowl game down the road. We'll see. Was there any one place that you played where it just had no atmosphere at all or it just felt dead when you would go play there? You know, keep in mind, I was playing still in the Mountain West right. back in my day. Um, I would say probably New Mexico. I mean – New Mexico had struggled. I think they still do struggle. Um, and and not a lot of fans there. In fact, almost every time BYU had more fans than, than New Mexico when we played there. Um, and it was just a – yeah, it was that was one of those games where you're just kind of hoping to get in and get out, get, get the job done, get the W, and get back home and move on to the next week. And, and which is kind of a bummer when you think about it, right? I mean, football, you only have 12, hopefully 13 games a season. Uh, and it's it's a, it's kind of unfortunate to waste those on opponents like that. And then going back to Ben Bywater's soundbite, uh, it's a great point. I mean, in Independence, uh, yeah, there's some of those games at the end, but the majority of your games are pretty awesome games. I mean, I would have killed to have played back-to-back top 25 opponents. I mean, that never happened in my career. Um, and, and the fact that they get to do that, uh, you know, this season against uh, down the road, Notre Dame and, and Arkansas, I mean, big-time teams – uh, man, it's such a blast. And, of course, them going to the Big 12, even even, even more fun. But, uh, yeah, pre- pretty fortunate. As, as Bywater says, I mean, I, I'm with him. I would rather play at Oregon versus some FCS opponent and, and beat up on them. I, I would love to, you know, play stiff competition and try to prove to the whole nation and country that uh, you are what you are and you're, you're worthy of your ranking. David Nixon, thanks for joining Behind the Mic. We'll get you on later this season. Yep, appreciate it. Thanks, Cleon. Coming up next, Amy Gant gives us insights into broadcasting volleyball and this year's Cougar team. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. I'm Cleon Wall. Amy Gant had a stellar career as a BYU volleyball player and has also had a nice career as a volleyball broadcaster for BYU TV, NBC, ESPN, and other media entities. Amy says her perspective didn't change much when she stopped playing and started analyzing. I think they they really go together. Um, and so I was really fortunate. I felt um, happy that, you know, my thousands of years and time on a volleyball court chasing a ball around could actually <laughs> kind of uh, merge into something else. And so I felt like, you know, you spend that much time watching the game and analyzing the game as a player and practicing, um, then that vision is kind of trained more. And so it, it was really great to kind of, um, work my way into that, uh, position as an analyst. And so I think my volleyball knowledge was definitely there. And then obviously the broadcasting aspect of it is definitely a learning curve that I had to develop over time that I'm hopefully still developing. But um, it was it ended up being just the best transition for me. It was great. When when did you first start being an analyst on TV? And did you just kind of like slip into it? And you're like, yeah, this feels natural. Or was there kind of a, a learning curve there, too? Yeah. Well, um, it was actually really great. I think BYU has always had, you know, fantastic 
opportunities. And although initially when I first started school, I was thinking about majoring in it, but then for some reason, I don't know why I didn't, but um, so I didn't actually do any schooling at BYU per se, but I did have relationships just with uh, different members of uh, the media um, just from them covering our games. And so after I finished uh, with the national team, I kind of reached out to them and fortunately they were in need of an analyst. And, you know, uh, as I've learned through way too many years in this business, it's probably like every other business. It's, it's as much luck as it is <laughs> skill. And so you kind of just have to always try to be out there and be ready and then wait for those opportunities. So I was fortunate to be able to, um, I, I wouldn't say slide right in, but it, it was it was a good opportunity right when I left the national team to be able to try out um, work as a, a color commentator analyst. When you are getting ready to broadcast a volleyball match and when it starts, what, what is it that you pay attention to the most on the court? What What is it that you hone in early on the match to feel like, yeah, I, I've got a feel for what's going on? Right. So I, I think a lot of that stuff would be prior to the match. You know, I think it's really important. I try to make sure I know the teams really well, that I've talked to the coaches, that I've, you know, watched them if possible. So that there's specific storylines um, that I'm looking for or um, different challenges that I think um, the, the game is going to go in, you know, as these two teams play each other, what are we kind of looking for? And I think my job is to pass those on to the viewer to, to maybe point out things that through my years of playing um, I might notice, but then someone who's just, um, just a regular fan, you know, may not see. And then if you can point those things out, then it's kind of exciting because you get to know the game at a deeper level and you get to, um, kind of get to know those players and and the situations more. I also think it's really fun being in the gym because it's amazing. Um, and this was something I, I think when I first started, you know, I was probably more along the lines of tell, you know, I would say just exactly what happened. You know, I think that's what a lot of people fall into and they just kind of repeat what just happened when you're reminded everyone is watching for a reason and <laughs> they see what happened. So you need to really talk about what um, they might not notice, what led to that play. Or I like watching like how the game is feeling and the tension in the gym and the momentum swings, because it's amazing how palpable that really is when you're in in the venue. We're still fairly early in BYU's volleyball season, but they played a, a tough schedule so far. What have you noticed early in this season with this year's BYU volleyball squad? Well, yeah, tough schedule is right, man. They, <laughs> they really have tested themselves. Um, and I think that's fantastic. Um, so that a lot of teams, especially when you're in, you know, like a team in the big 12, let's say, which is the best conference in the country, they know that day in and day out when they get into conference, they're going to be facing the top teams in the country. You know, BYU has to really walk a fine line in figuring out how tough to play their preseason and then also survive conference so they can put themselves in the best position um, come NCAA tournament time. Um, so 
preseason is always a good chance to see the best and play the best so you can learn as much as you can and you can make changes to hopefully be in a good situation come November, December. So, wow, for them to play, you know, three top 10 teams in a row um, is is pretty challenging. And I'm sure they've learned a lot. Do you agree that it was good for them to do this? Because I-, I could look at this and say, hey, it's good we're playing these teams. Uh, it teaches uh, the players exactly what they're going to need to do to succeed and to be, uh, you know, be able to make the NCAA tournament. On the other hand, you know, you lose uh, a few of these games in a row and that's, you know, maybe, you know, affecting your psyche a little bit too. Where, where do you fall along the lines of good or bad uh, scheduling, you know, so tough so early? Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I think what's hard is that everyone would love to schedule after you've played preseason and then we all get together and schedule. But, you know, as you know, and and football, you know, obviously is even worse. You have to make a decision two years, three years um, in the future. And sometimes things come together where it's like, oh, we're going to do a home and away and, but we're not going to do it this year. We're doing it next year. And so I think the schedule itself, they don't really know what they've got until they get it. And then they don't know what team they're going to put up against it. And so I think that becomes really hard. And so I think you probably just embrace whatever you can of the benefits of it, because your, your point's right. You want to maintain that uh, momentum and the confidence level and also learn. But if I'm a coach, I want to embrace the tough schedule and say, Hey, this will make us better come spring and, or, or come uh, November when we're getting into NCAAs. Last year's squad was so dominant. Only two losses on the entire season, and that last loss was in the NCAA tournament. How much do you think that weighs on this year's team? Um, I'm not sure. I think it may have weighed on them initially coming into it, but then you just dive right into all these incredible matches, and um, you're you're kind of in a new situation completely. I think if they were they've had a chance, you know, they get to go back and they get to play Pitt again. They're playing, you know, they played Georgia Tech, they played Ohio State. So they're swimming in a lot of stuff right now. I don't think they're thinking about last season at all. They're probably just thinking, man, we play Utah on Thursday. And how are we going to get through that? This is Heather Olmstead's uh, eighth season with this team, and we know that she's the coach and she's done a fantastic job so far with BYU. But who, who have you noticed as the on-court leader for this squad? Um, that's a good question. I I think personalities certainly lend themselves to leadership positions, but sometimes based on the position you play, you're kind of forced into that position as well. Um, I think setters in general are ones that, you know, they touch the ball half the time, every other time, they're really dictating uh, the offense. They're making all the decisions. Most people don't notice all the stuff that they're doing. You know, we look and we see the big hitters and that's super fun to talk about the really athletic um, swings and powerful serves. But the setter in general is, is very much the glue that holds a team together. And I think, um, you know, Whitney Bowers been in a tough, a tough and a good position. She's definitely earned it her entire career in that she is a setter of a team and has to, has to lead the team, has to 
be a person when you're a setter you have to have a personality i think that where people want to play for you and they want to get out on the floor and work hard and i think she shows she shows that work ethic and i think her team definitely knows that she wants it and she wants to do the best she can and i think that helps them to then you know get behind that and and really try to you know improve at the level she's improving as well so probably whitney bauer just based on you know, she's a setter. She's a three, four year starter. And she's like, what, 19, 20 now? It's weird yeah. that she's a senior, but uh, one of the veterans on the team. And I think having a senior setter um, is is pretty fantastic. I don't think you can be an elite level team and and not have a setter that knows their way around the court and how to run an offense. Being a guy who has mainly played just backyard volleyball, and I'm not good at that, um, I, I watch Whitney, and I look at how she, what I would term as kind of directs things, especially when it's coming on the attack. How does she determine, because I don't know how you do this, but how does she determine, or how does, how does setters determine who should they set it to? How is that communicated to her teammates? Uh, yeah, good question. I think in in the moment, it comes down to, you know, hours and hours of watching video and talking with your players and knowing what sets to set and knowing how to develop an offense um, and then making a split second decision. So, it, it you know, you're going to you're going to know a setter's job is to put the ball in the best position for their hitters. So first and foremost, they've got to locate the ball well. And ideally, if you can get a one-on-one situation for your hitters, you know, that's going to be the best option for them to then get a kill. And so what the setters are trying to develop is, is running plays and running different options that will open those holes in the block, those seams, and then find you know, the best player, who's the hot hand at the moment. There's so many little things that have to go into what comes down to split second choices and decisions based on the pass you get. And so I I think that's what's fascinating about the game is that it's never, besides the serve, it's it's never the same. You don't know what you, you're always um, making decisions on the fly. And you're incorporating everyone on the floor. And so it's it's just a fantastic team sport, in my opinion. What do you look for in a good middle blocker? And how are Heather Knighting and Whitney Larinus stacking up right now as a tandem of middle blockers for this BYU volleyball team? That's a great question. I think a lot of times it used to be you just stick the tallest person in the middle. You know, you're the tallest. Let's put you in the middle because you're going to be involved in a bunch of blocks and we want a big block in front of us. But I think uh, kind of what teams are realizing and and we've seen a little difference um, over the past, I don't know, five, you know, five years or so is really recognizing that a good middle blocker needs to have the ability to move laterally um, really quickly. And so just sticking the tallest person in the middle isn't always your best choice. You have to be a player that um, can look at the set coming, can be very quick to make decisions and then move laterally very quickly. So you want to be twitchy 
is what <laughs> I've heard it called. You know, that those fast twitch, you got to be twitchy. You got to get to the outside. You've got to get off the net. You've got to get up and ready. So there's a lot of movement involved. And I think um, looking at a player, I guess, specifically um, in Heather Knighting, you know, she's a player who is tall and physical and strong, but she also moves laterally really, really well and and can get off and up the net um off the net and then up and ready to swing quickly and so she's she's a wonderful middle blocker in that regard because she's so versatile but also really tall and physical we mentioned heather olmstead that this is her eighth season as a coach she's taken the cougars to five sweet 16 appearances and six conference titles that's amazing in eight years why has she been so successful? Why is she able to be successful with not only the girls she's able, well, I guess I could say in recruiting and then also getting the most out of the girls or the players who come here? Yeah, I think that's great. It's it's it, longevity is is pretty amazing. It's one thing to be successful, you know, for a couple of years when you've got one or two really good players that you can ride through that. But uh, her ability to be able to reload every year and bring in top talent is, is pretty fantastic. I think she, um, the BYU volleyball name in general is just a very well-respected, um, Heather is a coach, obviously her involvement in uh, USA stuff and national team and, and coaching all those things just has put her right up there with, you know, the top coaches in the country. And I think a lot of people want to come to play for, a team that they know will be good year in and year out and to play in an environment um, with the support of fans and the school is really unique. I think BYU is a place that um, just obviously I'm biased, but it is a really special environment and, and place to go. Amy, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on Behind the Mic and uh, hopefully we can get you on a little bit later this season too. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Thanks again to David Nixon and Amy Gant for joining us on Behind the Mic. We'd love it if you would download and listen to the show on the BYU Radio app or anywhere you get podcasts. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.